0: Bouncing Kirk is a weekly Keyforge podcast focused on competitive play. The podcast is hosted by Kira Mode and CoDameron. The show is here for listeners to gain a better understanding of how to evaluate decks, how to evaluate their own board position, and how to anticipate opponent's decisions. Without further ado, here is this week's episode.
1: Welcome to another episode of Bouncing Deathwork. I am Kira Mode. I am here with CoDameron. How's it going? And today we're going to be talking about turn 1 plays in Keyforge. So,
0: in the beginning of a game, there's not a whole lot of decisions to make. Your first, The first player only gets to play one card, and the question is, how important is that one card? We think that the the first turn play sets the tone for the game, but ultimately is not super influential to it. But it is an important moment to talk about, because first you have your mulligan, and then you have your first turn, and you want to be playing a strong card. So. We've kind of organized some thoughts on how to craft your strongest early game in your first turn or two.
1: Okay, so uh, yeah, we have it as a three-tier system that are relevant. So the first tier is exactly what you'd expect. it. It's um, busted early game cards plus deck enablers. So the busted early game cards are the usual suspects. It's your Hunting Witch, your Succubus, your Ember Imps, your, um, what's it called, Uh, the new one, the Dust Witch.
0: Like any sort of card
1: or like mother, any sort of card that like if I play a turn one and you can't answer it, it just like gets out of control. Those types of cards have excess value turn one.
0: The, The reason they're so strong on the surface is you get their value right away. If you can put your opponent down to five cards in a succubus right away or even threaten a toxin that's going to do a similar thing that is incredibly strong and ask your opponent, can you answer it? The second reason that they're so good is because your opponent isn't set up to answer it right away. If you play a Succubus mid-game, then it has inherently less value because maybe they have just some three-cost Dexter or some unit floating around that they're going to ram into it. If you play it on turn one, it has a much higher chance of getting that value early.
1: Yeah, like I have to specifically have something that immediately deals with it for it to get off the table. And that's where, where those cards get value. And then the other type of card that we have in tier one is deck enablers. So if you are a racing deck and you have Soul Snatcher in your deck, you want that card as fast as possible. You also want cards like um, Speed Sigil, mm-hmm. right? Like like artifacts or other creatures that enable your deck to function. Or another good example is um, one of the decks that I have is a deck that has three regrowths and a Piranha Monkeys. So I really want the monkeys early because now all of my regrowths just become better versions of Poison Wave. Right. So and this, know, different decks have different enablers.
0: And this is a big part of knowing your own deck. Uh, part of this is knowing the matchup, but really, if you're looking at the Tier 1 stuff, the matchup doesn't matter. You yeah. want these cards on the table early, they're going to be strong no matter what. And typically, they're the usual suspects, because if you play the mid-game, they're gonna die.
1: Yeah, and th- this is something I don't think we need to spend much more time on. Like, everybody already knows what the Tier 1, Turn 1 plays are. The reason listening to us is we can give them a little bit extra on the turn two and, or Tier 2 and Tier 3 options.
0: So, we think that the second most valuable thing to play on Turn 1, if you don't have the All-Star cards, the Tier 2 cards are the answers. These are cards that, when you play them on the table and you go first, your opponent says, hmm, maybe I can't play my Succubus. If I play a Troll Turn 1... Sure, it didn't get me as much value, but my opponent can't just play their mother because I'm going to attack into it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, Another good example are Omni artifacts that can kill stuff, right? So we're talking like Special Delivery is a really good example of a card like that um, where it can just make it so these are less threatening plays or even like Speed Sigil. Like maybe your deck specifically doesn't need Speed Sigil to operate as a racing deck, but it could be like, here, if I play this... Now all of my three and four health dudes kill all of your relevant dudes. You Gaunt- Gauntlet of Command does that very well, also. Yep.
0: Um, and I think that there's a. There, this is a very wide pool. I think any creature at least five power can satisfy a strong turn one play because it also asks your opponent, "Are you going to declare that house again? Probably, maybe. If mm-hmm. you give me reason to, I can answer you." And. In a small way, you're at least trying to limit your opponent's plays on your turn one. You only get one card, but you want that to affect how your opponent plays their turn.
1: Yeah, and, and another good example of this is like phase shift. So if my turn one is I play Quixo and then phase shift a creature, now I have creatures from two different houses. So if you play a guy, I can just declare either house to kill it. That, on, on your turn two? You Presuming mentioned. that I'm going second.
0: Right, no, we're right. talking right now about the first player who only gets to play one card. The turn two player, right, the one who actually gets to play all their cards, has a very different game to look at, right? And we're going to look mm-hmm. at that in a second when we talk about uh, how we want to mulligan and what we want to look to, about cards. Mm-hmm. But right now we're really looking at... Uh, just um,
1: going first, turn one.
0: Yeah, there's, okay. there's a very different mentality when you're playing the second player. So turn one is the threats and the deck enablers. The turn two cards, the tier two cards are the answers, The Tier 3 cards are the cards you really don't want to be playing mid-game, but they're going to stick around for a little bit. I think the best example of this is Dominator Bobble. Cards that get you value over time. I don't want to waste time later playing Dominator Bobble when I might need it on Mm -hmm. a disc turn. Right? So I need to play it now, and if I find it turn 1, I don't mind playing it because later I might declare disc and I won't have to waste my time getting to that Dominator Bobble.
1: Yeah, these are just your long-term value cards. So generally, the harder it is to get a card off the table, the more likely it is to fit, at the very least, within your Tier 3 structure. Artifacts are very hard to kill. Um, also, creatures with shields are very hard to kill. Creatures that are just big, also hard to kill.
0: Yeah, Sequis and Naughty, I don't think that they're threats. Or I don't think that they're answers either. I, don't think, mm-hmm. I think that Sekwis and Naughty both fit into Tier 3. They're not cards that are going to get you a ton of value. Because your opponent hasn't generated Amber yet, most likely. I mean, if you're the first one to play, then what is Naughty really answering? What is Naughty really threatening? Um,
1: yeah, it, I, I would put Sequus yeah. much higher just because Sequus is much easier to keep alive than Naughty, and Sequus can potentially answer a Succubus, whereas Naughty can, can't answer nothing.
0: And, and this is the real. My minute difference. Just having that four power and two shields mm-hmm. is stronger than elusive on turn one because it puts them kind of into a different category. The idea being that you just want to be able to get some value in general. You don't want to waste your first turn.
1: Yeah, not, not if you can help it. I mean, so your, your ideal scenario is, of course, you get the monster cards, right? Best case after that is that you play a card that can prevent your opponent's monster card. And then your tier three is just give me something that I know will be useful to me for multiple turns down the line. Like what I don't want to do my turn one is I don't want to just play a card that like does nothing. You know, like a, like a small, like I don't want to play a Dust Pixie turn one. Basically. I
0: think, I think a, a good example of a card I don't want to play turn one is Labwork. Labwork feels like a really cool turn one card because you have to start digging through your deck quickly. But there's a couple mm-hmm. things that I don't like about it. The biggest one being, it has the same amount of value if I were to play it on turn two. I didn't put any threats on the board, and mm-hmm. be playing lab work. It does feel like I'm setting up a bigger turn later, but I didn't gain anything by going first, right? Going first really yeah. means that you get to put a permanent on the board, and it gets to affect the game state going forward.
1: Yeah, lab work. I mean, the archive is sometimes useful, but like lab work is. If you're gonna play it turn one, you'd rather play it turn one going second, right? Because at the very least, it lets you draw more cards, but like if you play it turn one going first, it's not a very good card.
0: And I think this is a this is a this is a point that I want to harp on a little bit stronger is that you want to look at cards that get you more value turn one than they would playing them later. Uh, a pet a pet favorite of mine is the Terror, and a nice way to look at him is oh yeah, I'm always going to get his value going first. Um, but the problem with that is you're actually going to put Amber in the game. And I want to take a second to talk about putting Amber in the game in the early in the game. Mm-hmm. When the game starts, nobody has any Amber. This is obvious, but what this kind of means is uh, who's going to start first? If I have no Amber, then all of your Nerve Blasts are blank. All of your Naughty the Thief, your Mind Warper, uh, your Capture Effects, your Charrettes, they're just blank. So... The choice of when do you want to put Amber into the game is is really a function of how you want to play your playstyle, how you want to play your deck. If you're a racing deck, if you're a deck with a lot of steel, maybe you want to put Amber in the game quickly. Let your opponent take them. Let them capture it, because you know you're going to be able to get it back. If there's no Amber in the game, then you can't steal either. And knowing if your deck wants to put Amber in the game is a thing that you should consider when you're going first.
1: Yeah, I think this goes to our tier three. Because basically Tier 3 is like, I want stuff that helps me long-term. If your deck wants to interact with Amber, wants both players to have Amber, just wants as much Amber on the table as possible, then any card that gets you Amber can become a Tier 3 card um, for a Turn 1 play. Just off of that alone. But like, the Terror specifically, he also can answer stuff. And and so, so He can fit a couple of different roles.
0: And there are some cards that look kind of nicer on Turn 1. The two main offenders being uh, Eureka the new alpha card, and treasure map. These are cards that want to be the only thing you play on a turn, but we don't think that they have more value inherently on turn one. They just put amber into the game to start, and that may or may not be a part of your game plan. So before you just play the treasure map for that instinctive value, know that you're changing the landscape of the game
1: from the onset. Yeah, so I I personally think treasure map turn one is terrible, and here's why. So if we look at it from our tiered structure, uh, treasure map is not a card that has to be answered. So it's not a tier one card, and it doesn't shape your deck. So it, you know, it doesn't qualify there. It doesn't answer anything either. So if my opponent has an Ember that they play, me playing the treasure map turn one didn't do anything. And then it also doesn't give you any real long-term value unless you desperately need Amber on the table. So like the chances that it does anything substantial for you is very low. At the very least, Eureka, you could talk me into it. Not mm. because of the Amber, but because of the double Archive. So if you're like, you know, you get to archive two cards, sure. I mean, it's still not great, but it's more passable. It does something to advance your game state. Whereas, like, Treasure Map does nothing. It just gets you amber.
0: I mean, what's what I'm just trying to harp on is that the fact that they're alpha or omega doesn't make them intrinsically better turn one plays. Dusk Witch, Dusk Witch is a great turn one play, mm-hmm. not because it's omega, but partially because it's Omega, but mostly because it's a threat. It will enable my deck going into turn 2, 3, and 4, and since I played it on turn 1, it may not get answered.
1: Yeah, Dust Witch basically says if you don't have any direct damage, because that thing for some reason is elusive, my um, guys just have haste, and it becomes this thing where it's like, okay, my next turn might just be 3 dudes that come in ready, and all of the reap effects just trigger.
0: Right, so looking at a turn 1 hand, I think the the one thing I, I, the last thing I want to harp on is an example. Uh, we talk a lot about our, the five one one example, and this is you draw. You're going first. You draw your hand, and you see five to a house. Let's say it's sanctum, five to a house, and then two off house. The question is, what do you what card do you play first? Um, and I think there are two answers, but we prefer uh, one of them.
1: Yeah. So um, my instinctive answer. So in this case, if I'm going first, I have a five one one split. Right, For the most part, um, when I started, I wanted to play a card, any one of the singletons, and the reason for this is it just gives me the most draw tempo. Right, I play any of the one of the other cards, so then going into turn two, I have a 5-1 split, I play five cards, I draw five cards. Because if I play one of the cards from the five, my turn two hand is a 4-1-1 one, one split, so when I play the four, I'm only drawing four cards. Um, that was my very first instinct when I started playing the game. And
0: that still may be correct if you if you have that one-off dusk witch that still might be the better play because it's playing a tier one card it's playing a threat but we think on the whole outside of playing a strong tier one card uh, playing something from the five is much much stronger you can play uh the reason that we think that is you're going to declare the five card house second turn no matter what there are very, very few situations where I play a card from the one house and then I play the other one card or want to replay that first one. If I play Mother turn one on my off house and they play a succubus, well, man, I, I guess, or if I play the Terror turn one and they play into the succubus, I guess I've got to play my Terror again and I got to ignore my five-card Sanctum hand again. And that feels terrible. So what we recommend is in the five one one split, you play a permanent, um, preferably a creature, a tier 2 threat answerer um, from the, uh, the 5 card house going into turn 2 with a four one one split and a guy on board is still perfectly acceptable.
1: So, I mean, ultimately the reason you would have the instinct that I had of wanting to draw more cards is you want the most versatility possible. But the reality is the most versatility you're going to have is just putting a guy on the board. Like, if my turn 1 play is the Terror... That kills pretty much any any big threat that my opponent could play on their turn one, and if they, my opponent doesn't play anything relevant to their turn one, I can reap right. Like it just gives me options. Whereas like if I play the off, like the off five one one split card, now I'm much more restricted. And that extra card that I draw, like that versatility is nice, but it's not as nice as just having an answer pre made on the board that you know you're going to be able to trigger the next turn. Right.
0: So that's kind of how we look at that first turn is you want to play a a, a strong card and you also want to be looking at what you're going to be declaring turn two and if you need to be declaring that same house again you should consider that. Um, But before that, before turn one happens, you kind of have a turn zero which is the mulligan and the mulligan is a very personal uh, decision. Uh, Everyone has different opinions on the mulligan but the way that we look at this is that player 1, the, the player going first, only plays one card. So player 1 can mulligan for any specific card. If I want to find my speed sigil, I should be mulliganing for that most of the time, unless I find a strong hand. Player 2 has to mulligan for a hand. They have to be able to look at their hand and, get, and go, Okay, I wanna, I know what I'm looking for. I'm looking for 3 to a house, maybe 2 to a house, and I should really have a bad hand before I mulligan it away.
1: Yeah, I the way I try to think about it is, if I'm going first, how much better can my hand get? If I'm going second, how much worse can this hand get? Mm. Because what you don't want to have happen is like if I go, let's say I go first, and my opening hand split is like a three-two-two, which is theoretically the worst hand split you can have. Um, like I can just get a four-card hand very easily if I mulligan that. Um, on the on the other hand, if I have if I'm going second and I have a 222 two, two split it can actually get worse I can go 221 you know and like that's actually pretty scary and like getting a four card hand off of drawing 5 is much harder than off of drawing 6
0: and, and remember that like when you go to 211 one, one, uh, a 221 that mm-hmm. when you draw your your card at the end of turn sure you draw back up to six and you're drawing one more card but you're getting no deeper into the deck than if you hadn't taken the mulligan in the first place
1: yeah the other thing that we that the other reason we think about it this way is like if you think about like our tier list that we talk about so like having the tier one plays, right like the deck shapers and the super powerful creatures those are way better if you are the first player right if you're the second player like if 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 i go second that Hunting Witch in my hand isn't quite as valuable because there's a very high chance that my opponent already has a creature on the board. So the way that they can kill my Hunting Witch is they can either fight with that creature they played last turn, or they can play a kill spell from their hand. On the other hand, if I'm the first player, the Hunting Witch is way more valuable. So I have much more incentive if I'm the first player to play for my Mulligan to be targeting these tier one cards.
0: And that, and that sentiment is exactly where, where we started this whole episode is setting the tone for the game. If the turn 1 player is passive and lets the turn 2 player play a tier 1 threat first, then the, then the second player is in an advantage spot, right? Because they have the threat on the board mm-hmm. now and it's not getting answered. It's up to the player who had initially gone first to answer it because they didn't really do anything on their first turn.
1: Yeah. And then the benefit of being the second player is, you know, um, what Kodamarin uh, had the idea is, like you say, first player mulligans for cards, second player mulligans for a hand. The idea behind that is that if you're mulliganing for a hand, if you're going second, you really want to have at least four to a house because you're not restricted like the first player is. So you have the ability to go three creatures plus an artifact turn one. That's phenomenal. And that really puts you ahead because you're going to redraw your hand. You might draw two more cards of that same house and you can keep pushing it for the early game pressure.
0: And that's really goes to say, you know, if you draw well, you're going to do better. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's what you're hoping for in the mulligan. And if you want to play riskier, if you think you need to play riskier, then you do that. There's also a consideration, I guess, of ma- uh, knowledge of matchup. If you know that your opponent's got a particular thing, if you know that they're playing some sort of a combo deck that you need to get your... Um, if, you, if you need your artifact control early or late, you can mm-hmm. mulligan cards away. That's another thing that we haven't really mentioned, is that you could be mulliganing four things, or you could be mulliganing away. There's a lot of times when you'll see that Arise in the early hand or that big board wipe in the early hand, and you don't need it early, and you want to save it. If you know the matchup a little bit better, you might know that you have to save your EMP blast for the middle of the game or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's definitely cards that warrant a mulligan just because they're in your hand. Like, Arise is a perfect example of that. That's a card you definitely don't ever want to discard, but you definitely don't want it in your first hand. Because you can't hold it, right? You can't get seven chains... For this arise but at the same time, you want to play it, so you're just put in a tough spot. You're actually better off just mulling again and saying if you could just get a different hand value.
0: And really, to wrap this up, once you're past playing one card, the game is on, right? That mm-hmm. this is you know, turn one is is the interesting turn because you only get to play one card. It's different, but once turn two, three, four, five comes to play, you know, just go listen to any of our other episodes. Talk card plus board. Talk talk. Uh, Do I hold cards to chain myself? That's where all the rest of the knowledge that we talked about kicks in, right? Turn 1 and turn 0, which is the mulligan, is really a micro uh, aspect of this game considering how quickly it moves.
1: Yeah, so uh, that wraps up this episode. Uh, If you want to listen to us more, uh, you can... Listen to all our other episodes. We are on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at DeathQuark. And then you can also find our merchandise via Discord. So if you go to our Facebook page and click the link for our Discord, gets you into our channel, and then you can get some merch. We have t-shirts. We have bags. We have mugs. A lot of cool stuff there. And if you want even more content than that, Kodamron has a YouTube channel where he streams a lot of Keyforge content on top of what we already do on the podcast. So yeah, tell your friends about it. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks a bunch.